Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining me again today for another episode of the NHS 100K podcast. I'm getting a dab hand at this now. I think this is episode seven or episode eight. So season pro. So, you know, we're really getting there. Um, but I want to thank everybody for your support. It's been brilliant. I'm, I'm so excited about where this is going. Um, but yeah, this is all up, you know, down to you guys. So thank you very much. Enough jibber-jabber talking. Um, so I'm going to bring in Dr. Kat Lindley. She is an awesome doctor. I'm not going to steal her thunder too much but I'm going to let her kick over to her so she can say hey to you guys. And I'm looking forward to having a chat. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm doing great. Good, good. Right. So as we just said a minute ago, Alex Mitchell um, suggested I reach out to you. Uh, and um, <clears throat> I'm glad I did because uh, you've uh, you've been causing a little bit of a storm with your little speech <clears throat> in Brazil recently, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I so, had fun with it. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. It got it got a good reception. I think I saw it yesterday. Uh, so, so to give people an idea of time, we, this will come out a few weeks later. But it doesn't matter. It all happens quickly anyway. But mm-hmm. so you you were at the um, uh, the World Council for Health in Brazil. So can you tell me a little bit more? So let backtrack a little bit and then kind of get us to the point when you're in Brazil, if that's all right. So tell everybody um, who you are, what you're doing, and why mm-hmm. we're here. So I'm a family doctor in Texas. I was born in Croatia. Um, in Yugoslavia at the time, and um, uh, I'm on the steering committee of World Council for Health um, on the board of Unity Against COVID, president of Texas Osteopathic Medical Association, a couple of things. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've been involved in this whole mess, as I call it, for pa- for past few years. I'm a practicing physician. Uh, when it started here in the United States, for me, it was... People always say, oh, I've been away from the beginning, and I always say, that's a lot of crap. No one really was. It kind of got us by storm. But for someone like me who lived through communism, it was a little bit easier to recognize what was happening. So, um, you know, we were told initially to stand back to let, and you know, you know a little bit from your experience, to let people, you know, tell them to stay home, and then if they can't breathe, go to the hospital. And uh, it was pretty desperate at the beginning. That never really made sense to me. And um, what I realized early on is that the way they were doing things is they were making people fear things. They were making you fear this big new um, virus that was you know, going around the world, killing people. And then they told us to stay home uh, so we can't really talk to each other. So you couldn't go to school, you couldn't go to church, you couldn't go shopping. And then they kind of ramped up the propaganda and made you uh, fear it even more. And every time they did that, then they eventually said, well, now if you just stay six feet apart, if you just wear a mask, if you wear three masks, if you get one injection, if you get two, if you get three, your life will get back to normal. Well, needless to say, life is not back to normal. No matter how many times you want to say it is back to normal, it's not. Uh, What has happened? is every time there was a new directive to do something, we lost a little bit of our freedoms. If you willingly give up your freedom, you will never give it, get it back. The government doesn't give it back. They kind of like to hold on to it. Well, this is Casper. Hi, Casper. <laughs> so, um, so it's been getting worse and worse. And, um, you know, it seems like they start getting rid of some mandates. Now you can travel a little bit more. And that's also what happens in in these type of regimes, you know, totalitarian regimes. Um, They get you cruising 
for a while and you think things are good, things are good, and then the leash will go a little bit uh, tighter. So my firm belief is that that will happen. You know, when we get out of the summer, there's going to be something else to get us back into line. Well, they're already tight. There's already hints in, I think Spain have said that yes. they're going to bring your masks back. Germany have said they're going to bring masks back in the autumn. Um, so it's only a matter of time. In England at the moment, I know they're saying that cases are rising, even though we've only had about, I think, less than 400 deaths. So <clears throat> there's a new stealth variant, apparently. Uh -huh. Was it called Ninja or something? I read an article somewhere. They said like there's a Ninja variant. <laughs> and I, I was thinking to myself, what is a Ninja variant? But... Well, probably one that sneaks in and sneaks out without anyone ever knowing it was there, not even a trace. So how would you even know that you had it? I think uh, <laughs> like Halloween franchise movies, you, when you think it's done, they, they, they just make another one, don't they? And you just think, I don't know how long they can rinse this out before mm -hmm. people are just going to call it a day. But you yeah, well, so you've got your own practice as well in Texas, is that right? I do. I, I, I have direct primary care. It's outside of the system. Um, you probably don't want to get me on this subject, but my firm belief is that um, you can eat something, what I do, because the uh, my patients do pay cash. I don't take insurance, um, and but it's really affordable. You know, it, it costs less than like... Uh, membership to the gym netflix for kids and things like that and um, they have access to me 24 7 so even when i'm traveling even while i was in brazil i took care of my patients and um, having someone that you can kind of call they can call me in the middle of the night they don't they, they really don't abuse it but they can call me on a weekend i just got the message while we were you know at the beginning um if they need medicine or something it can be taken care of really easy and i think that's one of the issues coming up uh, around the world and maybe you in uk more we're getting more and more vaccine injured doctors are not recognized well, it's not that they're not recognizing i think they're recognizing they're not acknowledging what's happening and now you have this whole population that's not being really seen or heard like i like to say that needs help and there's nowhere to get help so um system like what i do works really well but okay so what's when when you um so when this all started you, how long have you had your own practice for first of all sorry um i was uh, i worked in uh, as a professor at a medical school in private practice i was medical director for a very large hospital for uh five different clinics and had a lot of people under me and then i kind of got fed up with the system and went on my own in 2017 so i've been on my own for the past five years so what was it about the system at the time that you because obviously people need to appreciate um if you're not clued up with the the, the states the, the the system in the states is, is very very is completely different than what we've got and to paraphrase really quickly you guys have to pay using insurance for any medical health care whereas we get it at the moment for free with the nhs um so but the system the financial side of it is maybe a little different but not much in a sense that we also have medicare medicaid which they don't pay for so that's considered free and then we do have private insurance that you pay but people think if i pay this monthly fee i can get whatever i want so the the financial side is different but the actual medical side it's not it's same bullshit like you guys have hmm. you know like if you want to um do something 
you know, you have to see a specialist. You can't really get a test ordered unless they approve it and they say it's a valid test. If you really can give medication that you think someone needs, but what they tell you, you can give them. So that side of it, that clinical side is the same bullshit on both sides of the pond. Uh, what is nice about my system is um, I don't take insurance. They pay, and also like for us, every time patient come, patient will only get help if they come in because doctor only gets paid if the patient comes in. That's the financial side for us. So you can't just call a doctor and say, you know, I, like I have a runny nose and a little bit sore throat. What do you think I have? Well, if someone texts me, I'll say you have a cold. Take some vitamins. Take care of yourself. If you're not better, call me. But for some, for the different system, they actually have to go visit, spend a couple hours, wait, and then maybe doctor will say you have a cold. You didn't have to come. Um, the other side that's kind of nice about the system I'm in, if I think someone needs something, I order it. Now, a patient can use their insurance and, and, and do the test MRI within the system, or they can pay cash. And we do have the lab radiology also, where if you're paying cash privately, sometimes can actually be cheaper than going through the insurance. Uh, I know that's a little bit difficult proposition for uh, people in UK because obviously you are getting everything free. But my question to you guys is really, are you happy with what you're getting? Are you happy not being able to see your doctor other than Zoom maybe four weeks from now? So if you are having sinus infection or even COVID or uh, strep or chest pain, what's going to happen four weeks from now? Do you think your strep is going to get better on its own? Well, strep is caused by bacteria. It actually doesn't need an antibiotic. So there are like different things like that. So sometimes even a little bit of investment, it's important. And I also find that people, when they give even like $20, towards something, they actually participate more willingly. They actually put their own energy into something. They're like, well, if I have to pay $20 to this doctor, I might as well do my job to actually get better, right? Yeah. But if you get something for free, then you're like, yeah, if this doesn't work, I'm just going to go next month and do something else, right? So, it, you know, yeah. that's a little bit of a challenge that I, I'm trying to um, open up this discussion. I think it's, uh, uh, it needs to be done. Uh, because, uh, you know, I think NHS started with the great intentions, but I think this pandemic, not only for NHS, for all the healthcare system around the world, has opened up this big divide. Uh, and um, these doctors also feel entitled, and they feel like, well, you're just my little whatever, and you have to do what I tell you to do. And for me, it's not like that. It's a... Uh, partnership between myself and my patient it's a relationship that we have and we both uh, make decisions together yeah but i think yeah <laughs> that that's how that's how that's that's an idealistic relationship that i think most patients would like to have with their doctor i know over here uh, there's we have locum doctors that dip in and out of surgeries when there's not enough cover so there's not that continuity of care I hear it all the time from patients saying they, they never see the same doctor, you know, it's, and it, you don't know whether 
because you only ever hear the bad things of the NHS in the UK. You don't hear about the thousands of hip replacements and, and all the other, you know, the, uh, the stents they fit, the, the, the heart operations, you know, the bypasses. They, they do thousands and thousands of procedures every day across the country, which are fine and successful. But you don't you don't always hear about that sort of stuff. But the thing is, is it's the ever aging population. Obviously, we're living longer. We are starting to become more unhealthy, unfortunately. Um, but they're cutting services. They're closing down um, emergency departments at 10 o'clock at night. They're not building any new hospitals. So they're not coping for the increased population that this happens with with time. You can't help feeling like they know that they're doing that so that it always puts strain on the NHS. But you're right, though, we do need to have these conversations because there's such a big divide between the management and the staff. We have no idea what people do with the money, you know, so there's such a big divide between us clinicians on the floor and those that seem to work in management and they keep it like that. Um, and I know that there's this been, been this big kind of thing that all us NHS workers know stuff that's going on when <laughs> we don't know nothing, um, you know, other than what, what, what we need to know. Um, but going back then, so when you were when you were treating, like you say, you, you treat people. Um, they come to you, uh, you well, they essentially kind of got you on retainer, haven't they? Like a bit like a lawyer, really, which is, you know, did you, when at the beginning, when you started seeing COVID coming through your, your practice and things, so were you treating any patients with COVID and what protocols were you using at the time or or did you get any advice from anybody or were you, you know, before, did you have the problems with ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine and all that kind of stuff that everyone else did at the beginning? So initially, we really just did hydroxychloroquine mainly. And, uh, you know, I actually talked to uh, Zev Zelenko early on uh, when we, when he was still doing the protocol and kind of coming up with it. And we all did, you know, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, and then it kind of kept on evolving. And you started adding NAC, black seed oil, um, quercetin, and things like that. And then that was with the first strain, the Wuhan strain. And then by the time we hit Delta is when we truly start doing the ivermectin. And in states, uh, it kind of depends where you live, if you can uh, prescribe ivermectin or not. In Texas, um, initially, they uh, there was an order for the pharmacist not to um, fill the prescriptions, but then our governor and the uh, pharmacy and medicine board went back and said, if the doctor thinks it's indicated, you should. So now it's kind of like hit and miss, but there are a lot of great pharmacies when you can, where you can get it. Uh, from my clinical perspective, it works. Um, both hydroxy and ivermectin work. I think for Wuhan, hydroxy was better for Delta, ivermectin, and for uh, like Omicron. Omicron is kind of a uh, interesting. Some of it is more like a cold, like a sinus infection. People just do well with, you know, nutraceuticals. Sometimes a little bit of uh, antibiotic becomes bronchitis or something. But there are some strains that sometimes need ivermectin and different things. Important thing is I actually hate protocols. So the the fact that people can get different protocols online, it's good and bad in my eyes. The reason is we're all different. So I don't treat by protocol. I treat by symptoms and phases that patient is. So um, sometimes patient will get a protocol from FLCCC or somewhere else and they'll start doing it. What I found is I have hard time with them, harder time with them than if I did it myself because they'll miss this, they'll miss that. They'll start something early or late or they'll miscalculate the doses and then 
it becomes a little bit harder to take care of them. And I had a few who it was quite difficult. Um, luckily, no, no, no patient died. I believe. Knock on wood, I'm superstitious. I'm from Europe, from Mediterranean. We're superstitious people. Uh, <coughs> so none of them died, luckily, but uh, some of them struggled and had to go to the hospital to get some extra oxygen. Um, and, uh, you know, there's lots of talk, is this virus real or not? Where it came from and all that, I think we have an idea now and we have an idea of what has been done to it. Uh, the disease itself can be quite real. That's really all I want to say about that. For some people who had COVID, some were hit very hard with it. Some had mild cases. Um, the way of diagnosing is definitely uh, wrong and PCR should never have been used for it. Um, but um, the disease itself has um, affected some people really badly. So have you been seeing a lot of this long COVID? Um, yes, kind of like, I would say, especially like with Delta and stuff, there was periods of long COVID where people were having it for several weeks, maybe months, but then you just kind of reinforce their immune system and they do well. Now the question is, are you seeing long COVID? Are you seeing post-vax? And I think, uh, and it, uh, clinically it's really the same. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, we definitely are seeing a lot of people who have, uh, um, some side effects of a vaccine and then you have to deal with them depending what the clinical presentation is. Did you, what, what do you think your reasons were, uh, what do you think their reasons were at the, at the beginning for, for them, for them suppressing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine or just even having a discussion about that? Well, if you have a treatment for something, then you don't have a reason for emergency use authorization. That's really all there is to it. And it's even now the same thing. As long as you have treatment, if I can take care of something and um, get rid of it, then there is no need for emergency use authorization. We're still under emergency use authorization. We just approved a vaccine in children under emergency use authorization and children um, their survival rate is 99.98%. There is no clinical indication for children to get this vaccine. There's no medical necessity for them to get this vaccine, but we just approved them in six months old. Why do you think they're doing it? Why do you think they're pushing it so hard on the kids? There is actually a law in, I looked it up, I want, to, I want to say it was 1986, but it was in the 80s that Reagan signed. Uh, he didn't want to sign it, but he did sign it. Um, there's different things in that law, but from um, what I understand, and if you read um, Kennedy's book, if vaccines are on uh, in the United States, I don't know how it goes for different countries, but you, it ten, every, every country tends to follow what we do eventually when it comes to vaccines. But if they are on our schedule permanently and recommended for children, then um, the manufacturer becomes indemnified. So even if an adult takes that vaccine, the manufacturer has indemnity. So that's uh, what some of us think is one of the reasons. It's definitely not uh, the science behind it. They've just done it in England now where they've, they've started to put it in with the um, 
the preschool vaccination sort of program that we've had they've just started, they've just allocated it to to to, to the british sort of um rev, uh, not review i can't remember the can't, can't think of the word um but obviously we have to mmr uh, and all the other ones mm -hmm. for preschool um they've just they've just put it in as part of that as well so that potentially could fit as well for us because they only recently did that i think about a month ago if that so that's interesting mm -hmm. um so I've, 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 right okay so when you started when you're in your practice i'm going back a couple of years now did you start seeing obviously you knew what was going on with with the, all the news and everything else why were patients coming to see you initially and not go to you know through the the normal channels at the time was there a reason why were they suspicious about the treatment or did they not want to go on to their ventilators or did they just trust you more than the actual system uh well i had my already my own practice you know uh and then i also saw some patients outside of my practice who wanted to be treated but yeah it's distrust of uh the healthcare system the protocol here in the United States is the same everywhere. Uh, when a patient comes in with COVID, they're given remdesivir, and um, they are denied other medications. Um, they do give them steroids, but steroids given are in much lower doses than they should be given uh, if you truly are treating COVID. And a lot of times patients end up um, on the ventilator, um, they may have issues with their kidneys or liver because remdesivir is nephrotoxic. Um, so the treatment itself is not really the way we do it outpatiently. So most patients really, the, the, the thing is a lot of patients, especially in this area, are uh, people are uh, informed and they feared going to the hospital because they the perception was if you go into the hospital, you might not walk out. I would say now it's not really not as like that just because we don't have many cases currently, but people still feel going to the hospitals and they don't want to do it. Mm, yeah. We're getting that a lot over here as well. I think if you, if you go into hospital, if, I know COVID's, you know, it's not, not as um, rife over here as it was, but th just the level of care seems to be really bad. Um, then we were having horrendous delays offloading mm -hmm. patients from the ambulances into A&E. Um, but then we've got no carers in the community, so we can't discharge them from hospital to then free up the beds in the ward to then admit the patients from A&E. So we're stuck, essentially. Um, so I don't know how that's going to fare. Well, I do know how that's going to fare coming into winter, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to leave the NHS, because I don't think I could handle doing that again. Having seen patients sitting on stuff for so long that they, they've either got, you know, borderline sepsis, their gangrenous toes. I'll just never forget that. So... And you feel really bad for the patients and then you start sitting there thinking so all this stuff that we've done for the two years the lockdowns the, the social distancing masks vaccine has it really done anything other than just mess the whole system up which is kind of how it seems what have you had any grief from anybody for treating patients using obviously ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and not kind of following suit um i haven't you know i'm very because I come from a different background, from my you know life experiences are different than other people's. I I think uh, at least here in the United States, I get a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a pass, but you know um, there are a lot of my colleagues who who think differently than me, but they know that they they really can't deny my experience. You know, having grown up in communism, and when I speak about 
freedom and mandates and what that means. And then, um, honestly, I just kind of challenge them when it comes to even. So, you know, I testified at the FDA against the vaccines for children. I testified twice. One was vaccine for children. The other one was uh, getting vaccines from now on for all the new strains without any clinical trials. I'm sure there are a lot of colleagues that uh, don't agree with me, but they can't really break my argument down either. And, and it really just comes to you have to um, believe. You know, uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, something that Robert uh, Robert Malone said when we were in uh, Washington D.C. Uh, at defeat the mandates. He said, uh, "Truth is like a lion." You don't have to defend it. Let it loose and it will defend itself. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, it, it has. It does seem that way because I think the 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 speakers, I mean, I, I was first exposed to, I was kind of asleep pretty much, but I didn't realize I was asleep. I've been in the forces and done other things, but I didn't realize kind of what I was doing until this COVID thing started to happen and I was seeing what I was seeing. Um, and the information coming out, I was shocked at the lack of discussion amongst my peers about what was going on. I felt like I was kind of paranoid, <laughs> thinking, is it only me that seems, this just doesn't seem quite right. Um, so, but it, you, you kind of, there's that thing inside your head that sort of says, nah, they wouldn't do that. No, they don't want to do that to us. Um, and I, I've said this to someone before previously is, 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 is our, the West to an extent is not used to being afraid of their governments. Whereas there are lots of other countries that are used to being afraid of their governments and they're well aware that their government doesn't like them. Um, but um, we in the West, we're not quite, we've not really been exposed to that so much. So going back to just obviously what you said coming from Croatia then, so you obviously you've got a nose for communism. What sort of things did you start seeing at the beginning that kind of got your spider senses tingling, if you will? It was just that level of fear. You know, I, I can definitely, I, I remember I was in private practice, but also worked in urgent care during that time. So I would come home late at night. And even in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I bringing home, you know, because this, this was during the time when it was like people are dying in New York, people in China on the streets are dying, at least that's what, you know, the, the, the TV was showing. So I, I would say that I had a little bit, you know, I had a healthy portion of fear myself. And then uh, it kind of kept on escalating, escalating, and they kept on uh, doing different things. First of all, you know, there was lots of fear. Then they say you can go to work, you can go to school. You know, the streets were empty. I, I never stopped working because I was an essential worker. But, you know, even going to the store, there was no one there. You had to be six feet apart, wear a mask, wear two masks, wear a shield, wear all these stupid things. And then, you know, the fear kept on going on and going on. And then... Um, one of the uh, governors here in the United States one day said, wrote an executive order that you cannot buy seeds to plant flowers. So I'm listening to this on TV and I'm thinking to myself, what does this have to do with the virus, right? And things like that happened, kept on happening. And I was talking to a friend of mine like late at night and she goes to me and I was getting like, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I was... Um, you know, kind of 
more introverted than I am. And she goes to me, Kat, you're remembering you're having PTSD. And I realized I was because that's what happens in communism. Communism makes you fear something, they separate you, then they make you fear more. And then they start saying, well, if you do this little thing for me, I'll let you do that. If you do this little thing for me, I'll let you do this. And every time we, we let them do something, they took away more and more of our freedoms. You know, it wasn't about that bag of seeds. Oops, that's Casper. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't about the bag of seeds. It was the fact that she wanted to control the movement of our people. And, you know, that's, that's what communism, Nazism, fascism, all these isms are. It's uh, controlling people for their own purpose. I think there's a, someone told me, uh, uh, I think it was Starling when he, he got a chicken, didn't he? And then pulled all the feathers out of the chicken uh, and then put the chicken back on the floor and then uh, put some seed in his hand and the chicken still came and ate some seed. And it, and that's what he kind of used to describe the, the population is like you can do what you want to them, but if you take away what they need and offer it them back, then they'll, they'll take it no matter what it is that you, you kind of do to them. And it makes you wonder, I don't think people appreciate the, the, the kind of elitism that's going on um, and has been going on for, for decades. We, they've done a very good job in making us not really worry about that sort of stuff. As long as we've got Netflix and Mackies and junk food and stuff and we can go on holiday, we don't care really. But I found that w with the with the COVID pandemic, it, it took that all away from everybody. So those people that if it affected quite severely and directly almost seemed to buy into the narrative more quickly or, or didn't. And those people that have just been coasting along and not really kind of creating any resistance or asking any questions are the ones that it's not really directly infected too much. You know, they're still working from home, furloughed, you know, they're quite enjoying it. Um, I didn't realise how fatiguing it was coming home every day, seeing what we were seeing. And then, like you say, coming home worried that you're going to give it to your family. Um, and But then still going in the next day and, you know, and... I just I don't think and then the, I don't think people appreciate from our perspective what it was like because obviously on one side of the fence you've got the general public who are kind of hating everybody who's in medicine right now because they think we're all trying to kill them <laughs> and then we've got us that are generally trying not to kill people <laughs> but trying to figure out what's going on because uh, there seems to be a whole bunch of clinicians that want everyone to die <laughs> so it was I, I I'd never come across it before at all in medicine and I've been do a bit of being a paramedic now for 12 years so it was I just never I never accounted it before so what got you into the circles of the people that you you're in with today um I, I i'm sure you've rubbed shoulders with the greats um and things but um obviously we, we spoke briefly at the beginning about the um the world council for health um conference seminar um that you so so how did you kind of all come together so um i knew most everyone you know here in the united states um uh, but I didn't really participate in um, events as much, you know. Uh, and then one day I was talking to Richard Urso and um, he said, why don't you come and talk one of these summits with us? And I did. It was probably my, and it took me a while to figure out what my message is because, you know, I can talk about anything, whether it's treatment or, um, you know, prevention or masks or whatever. Until one day I found my voice and I realized my voice is to just remind people how important freedom is. You know, I truly understand what it is to be born without freedom, being very close to losing it and what it means to us and our kids. And my other 
voice has always been for kids and vaccine injured because uh, they're the ones that truly don't have a voice right now. And I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm very good at creating uh, connections and friendships and relationships. And that's how I became friends with um, uh, John Watts. I always pronounce the Scottish guys, right? And, um, you know, and uh, everyone else. And um, I think it's important to be their voice because in medical community, they don't have one. So for me, um, you know, just being able to tell their story and to um, share what's going on, it's very important. And uh, I also realized maybe because I'm, I'm, I'm from Europe and I was born in Europe and I've been blessed to live this life in the United States that the connections that we have across the pond are very important. And the only way we can actually get through this is if we unite globally because for them this is a global um kind of overtake of the world and for us it has to be the same way it has to be global response back and we all have to say no at the same time we're not we haven't said no at the same time yet we all say no different times you know canada showed us that you guys showed us that with your protests the dutchmen's are showing us that but we, none of us actually did it at the same exact time we haven't reached that point. The only way we'll win it when we do that. And that's kind of why I got involved with the um, World Council for Health, the tests and um, Jennifer Heber from Canada and different doctors. And we just had a conference in uh, Brazil. It was actually a conference by Medicos Pela Vidas and uh, World Council of co-hosts the conference. So Jennifer Hibbert and myself were there from the World Council. And that's when I read, Jennifer, you know, did a whole uh, World Council for Health uh, welcome and all that. And I spoke, um, I'm a practicing physician on the steering committee. And in my opinion, um, many professions have failed us. But one of the biggest profession is the medical profession. And I feel that we've abandoned our oath. I actually wrote a new Hippocratic Oath. You can find it on my website. It's kathlindleydeal.com or you can find it on the World Council for Health website. I wrote it for World Council and um, it's called Oath of a Medicus. I chose the word Medicus because it means healer in uh, Latin. And uh, it really just, uh, it's kind of a combination of old, of new, of Geneva um, code. And it talks about our responsibility to take care of people. Uh, I always go back to the most sacred words of all, which is primum non nocere, which means first do no harm. And then I just try to remind uh, people like myself and you and others that uh, our job is to help, to heal, not to discriminate, not to make judgments, to truly do what we're supposed to do, and that's help people. Why do you think then with such, and I, I, I don't, I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times, I'm sorry, but um, the, the, the problem I think with the population at the minute is they're, they're just asking why why we didn't say anything soon or why there hasn't been more of us speaking out. Um, why, why do, I know doctors inherently um, aren't the fighting type, um, you know, from, from a, you know, persona perspective, obviously with, you um, Dr. Ali Jazz mentioned this before, who's a forensic psychiatrist, great chat with him. 
And he just said, you know, that they're, they're not those types of people, which I, I completely understand. I've never met a doctor I'm intimidated by, um, to be honest. And but you know, that's just the nature of the beast. So I think a lot of people um were asking why there wasn't more people speaking out. Why I mean, we know why to an extent, but what do you obviously being a working physician, why do you think there was such a, a dissidence and we wanted to talk about it? Um you know, I think this whole thing started long before uh, 2020. Um, in medicine around the world, we have stopped practicing clinical medicine, individual medicine, and started doing protocols. There is a protocol for sepsis, for heart attack, for pneumonia, for uh, kidney infection, for stroke. There is always a protocol. Uh, even in our own education here in the United States, kids have been taught common core math. And um, those type of things, protocols, common core, and different things like that, what they take away is critical thinking, and you start uh, following directives. Also, in the United States, we have a lot of um, physicians losing their independence and becoming part of a system, being uh, employed by the hospital, by government, by institutions, by companies. And every time you do that, you lose your voice. If you don't have a voice, then you really can represent yourself, your patients or your colleagues. Um, I'm independent. Uh, most physicians that are speaking out are independent. Um, there are some in the system, but then they're afraid to come out because if they come out, their uh, institutions will go after them. So I think we were kind of primed for this. And then once it happened, um, I would say maybe one third truly believes in what the other side is saying. One third is too scared to do anything about it, but knows there's something wrong. And then one third just doesn't care and says, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do no matter the cost to me. Mm. And I think that's where we are. Yeah, I definitely think so. I, I, I know lots of doctors that work in, in um, A&E departments and, and in general practice as well. And the things that they tell me, just simple referrals for, from, from themselves to, to ENT specialists, um, neurologists or whatever. Um, they, they, they'll have clots, they'll have bleeds, they'll have spontaneous stuff. There's rare condition, good conditions popping up that um, you wouldn't normally see. And they're, you know, the rare cases that you write the journals or the papers on are, be, are becoming not so rare. Um, and especially in the under 50s, um, which which makes it even more. But none of them seem to be putting the correlation or even, you know, suggest when you say, oh, it could be this, the vaccine or whatever, they'll just say, oh, no, it's not that. And they see, they're so kind of confident that it's not that. But equally, as you know, working in medicine, you say, well, OK, well, if it's not that, then what is it? Because if you're that confident it's not that, you must have done something to rule that out in the first place. Um, and usually to rule something out, you have to do tests and, you know, investigations and everything else. So they're just using their opinion <laughs> to just say, no, it's not that. Um, so I think now that the, the government have rubber stamped the, uh, the injuries that the, the VIT injuries, they, um, they can't then now, you know, hopefully, sorry, or give them the, the, the courage or, you know, to, to at least start suggesting it a little bit more now. But did you see many injuries coming through your practice um, when the jab started rolling out? I actually really don't because my population here is not uh, really vaccinated to the extent 
um, the people are in other areas. I do get a lot of um, emails, phone calls and stuff and like WhatsApp messages from UK. Uh, and I help a lot of people from there. But uh, here my own practice is not as bad. Um, there are parts of US that are probably worse than others like California and uh, um, Northeast where the vaccine intake is a lot higher. So um, I haven't, in my practice, I don't. You know, I, I have few that reach out to me from different places, but there's a whole lot in uh, Europe, a whole lot. Why do you think people in the UK are reaching out to you more? What is it that you've done to kind of pique the interest of us um, English folk? I don't know. I, I just listen probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's very important to create these relationships. And I've, I've been on a couple of shows in UK where I speak about this. And uh, um, sometimes it's not even what I can do for them. It's just having someone hear what's going on. And then being on World Council, a lot of times I'll get messages through the World Council for people um, that are looking for answers or trying to find some help. Yeah, I think that, that's been the hardest thing. Um I've been getting lots of emails from people and listening to their stories and I just don't have enough time to, to interview them all. Um, and it's just a blessing. They've just been shouting into, into the abyss for two years and I can't imagine what that's like. And some of them still haven't got, got the, um, the VIT injury put on their records yet. They haven't got their records. So some people are having a much easier time of it, getting the compensation and, and the recognition that it's a VIT injury than others, which is a shame. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how they're going to go about that. I've had this conclusion and I've mentioned this before in a previous pod that when they run out of money, the government, cause they'll have a pot of money for compensation and then they'll run out of money. Essentially. I wonder what they're going to do then. Um, and this is where it's been, I've, I've said if once I mentioned it to, to another girl on the podcast where the person given the injection is at fault is, is liable. Essentially that individual, that clinician is usually liable because it's up to you to, if you're doing the procedure or the intervention to give the patient informed consent. And if you're breaking the skin barrier, then it doesn't matter if the doctor prescribed it or not, you as a clinician, you know, are responsible. So I wonder what happens when the pot runs out of money. Um, what, what, what the government are going to do then, because obviously they can't go after the manufacturers. So if I was somebody who was a bit injured, I'd be wanting to go after somebody. And if I can't go after the government or the manufacturers, but I can go after the person that gave me the jab. Um, I just wonder where, where this is going to lead to um, because they were having all sorts of people give the jab. And then there was the whole argument of aspiration and not aspirating and all that kind of stuff. And depended where you were, you know, where you were trained as to whether you did or didn't. Um, so there's a whole, there's a whole world of things going on. Where do you see the world Health, uh, council for health? What's their overall kind of objective in the future? What, what do they want to kind of happen? You lost me. Um, I, I, you need to repeat the question. What is the overall objective? That's where I lost you. Oh, sorry, my bad. Sorry. Yeah. So, what for the uh, the World Council for Health? Obviously, it's it's a World Council for Health, but this is predominantly formulated with the coming out of the the pandemic of COVID. So, where do they where do they see this going? Where do they want it to go in the future? Well, I think for us, the most important thing is to right now be a guidance, be a um, voice of reason in this madness, because, you know, um, 
we dealt with COVID. Now we're dealing with vaccine injury. We're dealing with um, scare of uh, smallpox. Then polio found in sewers of London. Yeah. I read about Marburg virus yesterday yeah. in Africa. Um, so it, and then there's a whole other issue of WHO and and the pandemic treaty they're trying to pass and write so that they can make uh, decisions on global level for all of our health. So um, I think World Council for Health, uh, our main objective is to remain um, a voice of reason, true science, people in all walks of life, legal, um, health, um, humanity, holistic approach, nutrition, and kind of just um, to be um, a way forward to say, you know what, um, the chains that they held us in are broken now and we need to start living our life uh, together, uh, recognizing that uh, people want to be free, people want to stay free and uh, ultimately live in harmony. You know, it sounds like, it sounds very idealistic, but it's really true. Uh, we all just want to be left alone to live our lives, have a healthy community, have a healthy family, and um, have kind of some semblance of uh, the way it was and the uh, trajectory that globalists and um, world governments have, on, have us on is unsustainable. You know, they keep on um, being in war with different countries and spending money they don't have in the meantime, leaving their own people uh, in fear from uh, rising cost of living for increased gas. Are we going to have uh, food on the table because the Dutch farmers are fighting because the government is trying to take over their industry. Um, United States, we have had, I can't even give you the actual number, but we had several accidents of these small trains, no, not trains, small planes hitting the food factories. You know, I always wonder how does the small plane find this factory and just hits it right down so the whole thing goes in flame. Or, you know, so there seems to be an effort to create, to create a uh, world famine. And uh, to me, it seems like um, there really, there's no reason for it other than manufactured reason that they're trying to do. And that goes back to our initial talk. How do you control your people? You make your people be fearful. And the same example you gave about Stalin and the chicken. And how do you get them to obey? You feed them, you give them a little, uh, little bit, you know, Wales recently passed, um, what did they call it? Um, some kind of uh, pay that people will get every month. Was it 1500 or $1,300? Um, um, yeah, like a social you know, credit thing. Yeah. Social income, you know, yeah. so, so that's what you do. You, you, you promise your people, oh, I'll give you like, you know, 1500 um, pounds or whatever it is in Wales a month. Uh, so you can go buy some rice or whatever so you can eat. And uh, for that, you can't drive your car because there is global warming everywhere or whatever. I don't know. But it's like, you know, it's nonsense like that. So I think the, what World Council wants to do and what our goal is to really be a light in the darkness because I think everything they're trying to do to us is just incredible and people are just fed up with it. So you need someone to say, you know what, I call bullshit on it. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the, the 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 doctors that seem to have 
<clears throat> gained traction now. Malone, Yeadon, uh, and everything else who sort of started speaking up at the beginning, they were trying to tentatively tell people what was going on. Whereas now they just say um, there's no filter and nothing. You know, when two years down the line, I'm sure they're sick of trying to sugarcoat what's going on. Do you? Do you? I mean, I'm. I have my opinions. I'd just like to think a part of me is it's it's not really that, but do you think it is an overall, you know, kind of population control, depopulation agenda? Hmm. Do you, um, did I cut out again then? Sorry. You did. I heard the population control part. Ah, right, I okay. For a few seconds. But yeah, no, no, like no. I think. I think you were trying to ask me what I think the agenda is. And um, honestly, I can't even venture because my mind is not that sick. That's really what it comes down to. If you start going down that road and start thinking like, what are they doing this for? Um, there's so many reasons that you can find. All I can say to you that what they're trying to propose doesn't make sense. The vaccine based on mRNA technology from what we've seen so far are not safe and trying to push more and more on us, it's crazy. The fact that uh, we are in war, well, we're not in war, but um, you know, two countries are in war, but the, the, the rest of the world is in de facto in a war because we're supporting one side over the other. While the, other, while the other side that you're not supporting is providing you oil and gas that you need for your, for your country to actually run, I always wonder how is that working. But it's like, you know, if I think if you're a chess player, you would kind of look at all, some of these moves and, and question the sanity of people behind it. And uh, for those who say that there is... Um, a dark agenda, I can see where they're coming from because there's nothing, nothing that's happening currently. I would say it's in a, in a, it's for our own good. I don't see any good coming out of this and the trajectory we're going. What I find interesting is actually your election. So by the time this uh, podcast makes it out, maybe you guys will have a front runner. But it's interesting to see the corruption in all of, our, all of our governments, you know, I don't think there is a, you know, in the past, we all were looking for a leader, you know, that one person who would guide us, lead us out of the mess. I don't think there is a government in the world where you can say this person is a leader. This is someone I can truly, truly follow because all of them seem to be very corrupt. And, um, in my opinion, the only way we're going to get out of this is if we save ourselves. And the only way we're going to save ourselves is by uniting together and creating our own strong communities. And, um, you know, sending the message back and saying, I won't say it, but mm. you can imagine. Yeah, no, <clears throat> you're not the first person to have suggested it either, I don't think. And because we cannot build a new system on the foundations of the old if it's still corrupt foundations. So the whole thing needs complete overhaul but enough people need to want that uh, it's like being in an abusive relationship and i've said this before we're so used to politicians just doing dodgy stuff we just go yeah it's this the tories you know and you want to say to them, that, that doesn't mean it's okay guys you know these you know that, but we're just so used to people running the country and not really anything changing but we'll still vote and it's that illusion of control isn't it the whole democracy thing it's let them vote <clears throat> we don't even know if the vote is accurate whether it's being you know yeah don't, don't ask don't ask americans about our, our vote oh 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Well, listen, I, I follow American politics quite closely and I have done since all this started, predominantly because your politics is a little bit more transparent than ours. It's a lot more televised. A lot more people get behind it um, and try to work out because it's quite complex as well <laughs> with the Constitution and the uh, Congress and, and, and trying to work out what everybody does. Um, but I, I found it quite um, they just say it and, and air the laundry and 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 listen to Fauci getting grilled by, um, is it DeSantis, I think? No, it's usually, it's usually Rem Paul that goes after. Rem Paul, yes. Oh, yes, yeah, he's from Kentucky. He's a physician. Yeah, and watching him yeah. grill Fauci uh, pleases me quite a lot, um, to be honest with you. But it's, so, so, and I've always admired that about the Americans. They're all a, a lot more kind of honest in that regard and they just have it all out there. Whereas Britain, we're a little bit more sneaky and sly. So we'll sly in the acts or the change of this and change of that without anybody knowing. And, you know, and, and that that's sneaky. You know, that's not what we we voted politicians in for. And it frustrates me. But people just seem to they just go along with it and think, yeah, it's fine. But now we're at the point now we've had 50 MPs resign in the week. One of them being our prime minister, finance secretary, health secretary, education, se education secretary uh, and, and, and loads of others. So I don't know what this means. I don't know whether it's rats jumping ship whether something's happening behind the scenes, but it never usually, like you, you, you've said, it never usually benefits us. Um, and I'm afraid now that Boris was a little bit of a, you know, well, there was many things, but we, we've had two years of Boris, so we kind of know what to expect from him, whereas I don't know whether this new person that will come in now will be really militant and whether they've just been told to kind of step up the game. Um so I don't. I, I'm, wor I'm I'm quietly worried about where this is going to lead to us, especially going into winter, with all the food prices and the gas prices and everything else. But I, I find it. Have you been seeing what's going on in Sri Lanka? Yes, yes. I actually watched the video of the government um, really surrendering and people taking over. The problem is, you know, um, what happens next? You know, anarchy is also a cancer in its own. So uh, there is no, um, there is no clear answer with where we go from here. Other than, like I said, the best we can do is create our own um, community around us, our own families, and stuff like that, as strong as we can, so that we don't depend on the federal uh, government for us. But it, it's very hard. It's very disappointing to see that. Um, even people who maybe we thought were good are very corrupt and very dependent on um, on the you know money and all that. I would say the only good thing is if you really look at history and if you look at life, uh, humanity always survives. Good does win against evil. It might take us a while. Hopefully, we'll be alive. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Those are the things. Uh, but. Um, the only really good thing out of this whole two years is the fact that I, I believe that world has really connected a lot more. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends all over the place now. And um, there, there are really some good people out there. There are evil people, but there are good people out there. And, mm -hmm. I, and I do know that there's more good than evil. It's just a matter of good people uh, stop allowing for the evil to continue. I think it's exactly like you said, you know, like we're like, well, that's a politician. They're not really honest, but he's not as bad as this one. So let them do the job. No, I think we need to raise our expectations. We need to just say, you know what? We gave you two years. You suck at this job and you're out. 
Mm. And uh, and also we need to take responsibility ourselves. You know, I always tell people, no one will save you. You know, the reason I'm on several boards and uh, active as I am, and I don't expect anyone to do the job that I can do myself. I really don't expect people. I I delegate people that I know will do the same things that I will. But if someone doesn't pull their weight i'm just i know you have to tell them you have to you have, there needs to be personal responsibility we need to you know one of the reasons i'm very much against participation trophies because it doesn't teach our kids anything you know it's okay to lose once in a while because every time you lose you kind of wake up a little and say hey if i want to do something i need to do better we need to expect from ourselves the high degree of excellence. We need to stop accepting that mediocrity is uh, uh, good. It's not. It's not good in me. It's not good in you. You need to do the best job you can. And each one of us has to do that. And then we also have to just really say, enough. You know, it's been freaking enough. I, I would say people are getting a little bit, they're waking up to what's going on, but I fear it's going to be too late. So um, time has come to. I think this children thing is going to wake up the world. The fact that they're trying to vaccinate the children is waking up the world. There are certain things that are waking up the world. The fact that they can't travel is waking them up because, you know, they're canceling flights. Um, so, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've always been a firm believer that <clears throat> those of us that have kind of been ahead of the curve at the beginning, it's our job to kind of guide those that are just starting to kind of open their eyes and blink into the light <laughs> coming out of the darkness because it's 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 like being given a massive red pill whether you want it or not whereas we've had time to to digest certain things to you know leisurely walk down that path whereas they'll be thrust into it regardless and I uh, that's that's been the difficult thing I've been coming across with other clinicians when I've been speaking to them is how do you address this with people without them straight away putting you in that category of a conspiracy theorist or tinfoil hat or you're one of those and you know they, they disregard your experience your degrees your knowledge your you know whatever um just simply based on on their opinions and that that's where we we need to be trying to build the bridges now but they need to be ready to to listen um and ask the questions as well and they're not really at the moment are they i think they've stood by their purchase <laughs> and whether they've got buyer's regret or not they can't take it back, can they? That's the thing. Did you lose me again? Am I back? I Hello? think I lost. Yeah, I think I lost yeah. you again. But uh, yeah, I heard most of what you said, and I agree with you. I think the other important thing for uh, people to realize is. You know, a lot of people will wear like pure blood shirt or they'll say, uh, I'm awake, I'm this, I'm that. We also have to be very careful to not alienate people. Um, you know, some people got the vaccine for the right reason. At the time, they were thinking that the, it was a good thing to do. It's going to save grandma. You know, there's lots of reasons. And we need to stop um, judging others for some of the decisions that they made and uh, realize that if we keep on saying, um, you know, I've been awake from the beginning or I'm pure blood and you're not anymore. First of all, we're hurting friends, family. And second of all, um, 
we are creating two-tier system ourselves. And uh, instead of embracing everyone and saying, you know what, I'm glad that you understand what's been happening and let me help you and you help me and let's go through this together. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies by words that we choose. And I think words matter and we need to be very selective of how we um, take care of each other because at the end of the day, we're all someone's children and um, we're all meant to be in this together. We, we need to stop separating um, people into categories because we're doing it as well. Not only the other side, we are doing it. Yeah 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 but they've done a good job in in creating sides <clears throat> with regards to everything haven't they that's the thing so you can't help i think the psyche of the population we're so used to being put in boxes it's difficult for us not to do that even if it is you know a red pillar truth a freedom fighter whatever it is to someone who completely denies the uh the possibility of what's going on mm-hmm. some heavy stuff man <clears throat> And it's, 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 it's it, it, but, but, but this is the thing, and, and it's trying to. I think I was, I told you I was going to be more fun, right? Did we talk on, on Twitter and we said we're going to make this fun? Instead, we really dug deep into it. Well, I think it's it's digging deep into it without trying to use the language that every that switches people off. And this is what I try and say to people: it's about it's about asking the right questions, and sometimes asking the right questions to the wrong people. Um, but you say the wrong word and they'll instantly put their defenses up and they don't even want to engage in conversation. And I've, I've, I've experienced this a lot. Um, just, just for, for one comment or another, Oh, you sound like Fox news and, and you think, okay, well that's fine. But what exactly have I just said that makes you think that I'm from Fox news, you know? So they're not, whereas most of us are trying to use stuff we've heard read or, or whatever, whereas other people are just using, no, you're just not, you, you're chatting rubbish and you think, well, okay, based on what are you saying that? And I think they need to, because from what I understand it, they've created their own little bubble of protection through all this two years of being fear-mongered. And then we're coming along and poking that bubble, (laughs) kind of saying you're not as protected as you think you are, and they will get you in one way, shape or form or the other. And they don't like that, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and some of us, you know, those that have had X, Y, Z jabs and those that haven't, they're, they're not in a better situation than those that have had no jabs either. So I can imagine a four-person jab will hate someone who's not had a jab because he's had no hardships for, you know, and, and we don't know really how many of these people that have had the jabs are okay. Only they know themselves whether they're okay or not and whether maybe they feel scared to come out and say, um, have you had many, I know England was the first place to sort of um, pay out for, for compensation has there been any talk of that in the states or anything at the moment or is that just way off i think actually canada was first they had their first case and then you guys came along with a couple oh, of cases, canada. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were before you a couple of weeks before you uh right. not in the states as well as far as i know i don't i don't think that we had any cases is there any talk of any of uh, uh, i mean obviously there's been there's been injuries there's been deaths and everything else but but what is it you're predominantly seeing over in the States, if anything at all, that can be sort of linked towards that? Well, no, hold on. I know everything can be linked to it and everything can be linked to other stuff as well. This is the, this is the problem of why it's so difficult to, 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 you know, say it's down to VIT. But have you been seeing many things that, that, that you could be quite confidently say, yeah, I think this is a, a vaccine injury? 
Well, we are seeing lots of myocarditis. Uh, we are seeing, if you talk to Ryan Cole, uh, you know, we just chatted recently on it. He is seeing, uh, and clinically we are observing increasing cancers. Uh, we are observing lots of different um, rashes, like shingles are coming back. They're a little bit unusual. Uh, Epstein-Barr virus reactivation, so severe fatigue. Uh, lots of, uh, you know, blood clots. There was a incident of a pilot. <coughs> I'm so sorry. I have a cold. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know. Um, a pilot actually landed in Dallas, and just as he taxied I, and walked out, I think uh, he had an event. Right. So we're seeing a lot of issues like this and i'm connected with pilot groups from uh uk and australia and um united states and switzerland this this uh, uh global aviation uh, coalition they're awesome group of people to follow and they're raising these issues you know uh jokingly i called uh, our um project danger in the skies and they're like no cat like we, we don't want to scare people but when you think about it, it is a danger in the sky to have vaccinated pilots who uh, are themselves concerned with what's happening. And, uh, you know, some of them did have cardiac events and some of them had blood clots and different issues. And, uh, you know, I actually, I uh, really, um, I'm grateful to them putting their jobs on the line, trying to raise awareness. Because if you have one plane crash how many people it will take down you know so the fact that our different regulatory bodies are not paying attention to that it's very scary so um i would say you know the most devastating fact with what's happening and especially i, I always go back to the kids and kids vaccines is if you just look at the various data Bears is like UK yellow card for you guys. And, and actually, uh, World Council for Health, we did pharmacovigilance report. We looked at yellow card and bears. Uh, according to bears, we had 33.5 million adverse events and we had 28,000 deaths so far. And it still keeps them going and they're trying to give it to children. We don't have long-term safety data. We have no idea what's going to happen. We do know that lipid nanoparticles accumulate in the ovaries. Uh, there was a recent study showing the decrease of semen in guys. So what, what does that say about fertility, right? Was, is that one of the goals? Like you said, depopulation so that we, and then there is a data, uh, I think Pat Emperor on um, uh, Twitter was pointing out the data from I know he did Hungary recently, Thailand, or Taiwan, Taiwan maybe. He showed a decrease in uh, um, birth rates. Mm. Month before was 22, now it's 27% decrease in birth rates. So all of this is very concerning. And um, trying to keep on going, uh, some countries are up to fifth booster. Yep. What are you boosting anymore? It's like... First of all, the, we don't have that many incidences of COVID. You keep on giving booster. That's actually the first strain. It's not even the booster we're currently on. 
And what you're doing is decreasing immune system. We do know that. We do know that CD4, CD8 count cells are down. There is P53D regulation. There's all sorts of issues. If you, keep on, if you keep on damaging the immune system, what you will end up having is pictures similar to AIDS. You know, uh, you're going to have these people who are going to start, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing all these viruses that we didn't used to see anymore or that we don't see. Like we have RSV virus, you know about that. Mm -hmm. RSV yeah. is that barking cough that sometimes kids can get mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. It's only for kids. All of a sudden, we're seeing it in elderly people. We've never seen it in old people. It was always a disease of the young, and it was very specifically under five. Now we're seeing it along the whole population group because the immune system is decreased in general. And then they start talking about uh, smallpox and polio vaccines. Some of these vaccines are uh, live attenuated viruses. You cannot give a live attenuated virus vaccine to someone with decreased immune system. We have no idea what's going to happen to them. So um, from medical standpoint, we're living in a crazy clown, dark, scary world. And um, something has to change. Honestly, something has to change. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of where you know I rem I remember that one third that I told you that uh, knows what's going on, but they're too scared. You know what? And that's why I wrote that Hippocratic Oath. That's why I read it in Brazil. My message is to them: If you don't want to do your job, if you're too scared to do your job, quit. Go find something else. Yeah. Because if you don't speak out now, when will you speak out? When someone in your family dies, when uh, how many patients you have to lose before you say, you know what, this is not a zebra anymore. This is really a horse and I'm seeing uh, too many horses out there. And also um, my message is actually to athletes as well. I actually find this uh, very, our kids, you know, I know you have a young kid, I have a little bit older kids, but our kids, college kids, they look up to these athletes, they look up to these actors, to these singers, and we're seeing, and we, you know, we watch like, oh, they collapsed on court, they didn't wake up, or Justin Bieber has uh, Ramsey Hunt syndrome, his wife had a blood clot. You know what? How much freaking money can you make? How many more uh, ad agencies you're going to sign with or uh, deals? You know, how many millions is really enough? Or do you want to be a billionaire? Do you want to have another house, you know, in Croatia or uh, in Bahamas? Like how much more is enough before you wake up and realize that that can be your child, your mother, your cousin, your friend? We all have to really wake up and say enough is enough. Because if we're seeing it, they're seeing it. And there's going to come a time when you're going to look yourself in the mirror and say, what kind of freaking life have I lived? That's really what it comes down to. There's, well, you have to look look at yourself in the mirror, don't you? There was those. There was a bunch of Spanish actors and politicians that all got caught, weren't they? Taking um, having fake uh, vaccine passports. They'd not been. They'd not actually taken the jab themselves. They paid for fake ones. So you what you wonder what they knew at the time. Um, yes. Same with our politicians having the parties and things as well. Everyone was more concerned about them having a party when they should have been concerned as to why they weren't afraid. To gather and then go home to their families because our politicians are not bastions of health by far 
So, you know, um, what did they know or what were they taking that could have reduced the effects? Or did they simply know that if they'd have got it, they would have been all right? Um, so so there's been lots of little things, but then that's not been the wrong type of news has been going out about those sorts of things, whether they should have got fined. And but, but our um a prime minister that we had back in the early 80s called Margaret, Margaret Thatcher, she turned around and said, she was a Tory um, um, MP, I think, yeah. And she turned around and said, you know, if you make rules and and the politicians break them, how do you expect the, the general public to, to to follow those rules as well, regardless of, of how big or little you think they are? You have to lead by example. And we're not. Well, they're not. Um, yeah. So just going back a couple of things that sent... Um, so the pilots as well. I remember the pilots being a big issue at the start uh, of all of this as well, because there was there was reports of pilots having problems and 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 initially, but they they were afraid of obviously losing their license to fly a bit a bit the same as the the doctors would lose their um, mm -hmm. license to practice as well. So the government or well whoever it is that they, they they knew that the, the the people that would start trying to voice things at the beginning initially would be certain groups of people. That would be would have more to, to, to lose if, if if that makes sense it's almost like they they knew um <laughs> you know it had to get to the point where pilots were literally having specific events like you mentioned before they have to um before they because they, i think it was the arm the, the navy or the army doctor the female she she had to ground pretty much half of the the air force at one point because they're all mm -hmm. you know sick or risk of you know having an event yep. And she got silenced um, or, or, you know, she, she got in a lot of trouble for reading the report that she did. And that was that was from the military. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to touch back on something real quick. So what do you think? What do you think is causing the fatigue? Because that's the main thing that I'm seeing in everybody. Everyone's just complaining about how tired they are all the time. Is that to do with the platelets, do you think? No, actually, it's a reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus. Reactivation uh, of what? Epstein-Barr virus. Right. EBV. Epstein bar. So if you actually if you have someone who complains of severe fatigue, one of the things you should do is check the titers of Epstein bar and you'll find they're very high. And you can treat that with um lysine, uh valcyclovir, um, sometimes prednisone, uh different things like that. But um ivermectin sometimes can help as well. But it's usually Epstein bar that's doing it. And is that vaccine induced, do you think? Well, it is because it, it's, uh, again, uh, your immune system is down. Right. So your immune system is not clearing a lot of these things. Um, and then the viruses get reactivated. And that's why we're seeing a lot of shingles because the uh, zoster virus is dormant in general. It only wakes up when our immune system or our body is under stress. So that's why we see a lot of shingles. And even Ramsey Hunt in Justin Bieber yeah, uh, I'm I'm only uh, speculating because I don't know his medical history, but it would make sense that something like that would happen if his immune system was down. Hmm. Uh, but this so this ties in with the with, with the B cell then because your B cells are responsible for keeping things under control that your body's always been like you say with the zoster viruses and everything else your body's already infected with those things but your, your b cells keep the cancer cells at bay and all the other sort of viruses and bacteria you've got in well, your body there, yeah there's t cells and b cells and they all have a spe specific roles uh, different stages of the immunity and in general uh the ones that are down are t cells the cd4 cd8 and there's, there's other uh 
cells and then interleukins and different you know different things that are under attack so um it's really i think the best thing for people who have had the vaccine if they're questioning if they should have a booster my advice is don't uh your immune system is under attack with each booster that you get uh the best thing to do is start really looking out for yourself or making sure that uh you have a good diet, um, you know, anti-inflammatory diets, um, take vitamins, especially vitamin D, C, zinc, quercetin, black seed oil is awesome, pine needle tea, dandelion tea. All of these things are very good at trying to recover some of that function. And, uh, you know, some people will say, well, I had three or four vaccines. I never had anything. Hopefully you never will. But I will still take these things to make sure that the immune system is always functioning well. Yeah. And, um, you know, honestly, stop taking the vaccine at this point because all we can see is damage. Well, I think they did a very good job at targeting those people that they knew already had pre-existing conditions who already weren't very healthy. Then they used that because everybody I spoke to is like, oh, I had the jab because I've got this or because I've got that. Uh, and you think, well, for all you know, it, it could have made it worse. And I spent pretty much all of last summer admitting people into hospital with respiratory conditions, which, and it was a really, really hot summer last year, but it was 12 to sort of 16 weeks after the April booster. Um, and those people that had conditions that they normally were well-managed, heart failure, uh, COPD, you know, you know they, they were suddenly just becoming really difficult for them to manage. And and, they, and even they didn't realise, you know, why, what, what, what the change was. So... That's why it's been so difficult, isn't it? Because they, they can just put it down to exacerbations of those pre-existing conditions and not, you know, made worse because of the vaccine. Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell because some people just did totally fine. Some people had uh, side effects right away. Some had it after second or third. Um, people always say, like, are there good or bad batches? I, I don't know. That's, that's very difficult to prove. But what we do know is that sometimes... The vaccines have not been held at the temperature they were supposed to, so there's probably lots of degradation of the product itself. So there's probably inactivation of the product, which in that case was a good case for whoever was mm. getting the shot. Um, but I would say just based on the numbers, you know, if you have time, you can go look at the pharmacovigilance report on uh, worldcouncilforhealth.org. We took four different databases, and every single database had a huge safety signals, huge. And uh, based on just on those uh, signals, this should have been stopped a long time ago and it has, still hasn't. Uh, I think the job of people like you and me and uh, people who understand what's happening is to make sure that parents are aware that for their children, this vaccine at this time is all risk and no benefit. There is no reason whatsoever to vaccinate a child for this. Uh, if you do, you're only creating an environment where they might develop illnesses and struggle for the rest of their life with certain things. Um, when it comes to COVID itself, children do extremely well. If you give them some vitamins, if you give them cold medicine, cough medicine, Tylenol, you guys call it paracetamol or ibuprofen or things like that, you can control it very well. And uh, sometimes children that have asthma maybe need a little bit of their inhaler or different things, but it can be taken care of really well. 
And then they develop immunity. We have over 150 studies that show that immunity is superior. Natural immunity is superior than any vaccine. We need to really um, start thinking about medicine the way our grandparents and parents used to. You know, just common sense stuff. Take care of yourself. Eat well. Exercise. Sleep. Decrease stress. Take your vitamins. If you get sick, stay home. You know, how do you, how do you make sure there is no other pandemic? The biggest thing is if you're sick, you stay home, you take care of yourself. You wash your hands, you use Lysol, Lorax, clean your house, sleep, take care of yourself. It's just these common things. But we've not been, uh, and, and we know that. And, and I think the, uh, the the message we're trying to get to people is, is being healthy is, is a lifestyle, not just a six-week diet. And then, you know, this, and that's what you, tr but if it becomes a lifestyle, it's easier because it, it it's little but often. Um, and unfortunately, so you, no, go on. Yeah. Now I was going to say, so obviously I'm a girl and if you, most girls in your life, I would say that we always struggle with weight, right? I really would love to take to have a pill where I can just take a pill and eat all the pizza in the world I want and still lose weight. But it's not going to happen. No, it's not no. going to happen. I have to exercise. I have to eat sensibly. I have to drink uh, lots of water. I have to go for a run. And that requires uh, an investment from me towards my health. And it's the same thing with uh, anything in our life, any illness that we might have. We have to take care of ourselves to actually get over something. There is no magic pill. Uh, you know, there are things we can help with, but you have to do your part. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and education is important, I think, because there was no... What I noticed as well, when it when the lockdown came about, it was just sort of stay at home, don't speak to anybody, wait wait for the vaccine to be ready, and then hopefully yeah. things will turn back to normal. There was, you know, I always thought, well, they could have given free vitamin D. They do give free vitamin D to the over 65s who need it, but they could have just given it to everybody, you know, and, yeah. and then there could have been a lot more information on how to stay healthy, keep your mind active, what things they could do, what vitamins and supplements they could have taken, but there was... Obviously, the suppression of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, the suppression of everything other than the jab, it was a bit like they don't they don't want us to be healthy, do they? Because then they don't technically have any custom. Yeah, so I'm trying to be a little bit more fun, but uh, you kind of remind me of another important uh, argument, and that's the fact that um, for the past, I don't know, 10, 20, 15 years, I don't even know how long, our food has been processed so much that we're not getting these uh, nutrients in our food. But in the past, you know, if you go, you know, to your grandparents' uh, um, farms and stuff like that, they had cows and cows ate healthy and you had uh, good milk. You had all the vitamin uh, D and calcium in the foods that we ate in the sun itself. You know, you didn't have to worry about uh, this sunscreen that has different um, chemicals that actually are harmful to your body. And... Um, our way of life, you know, sure, I have uh, iPhone 13, whatever, right now. So it's very, you know, advanced, technological, fast lifestyle. But we've lost a lot of things along the way. And some of those things are just the fact that, um, you know, our, our water supply was healthy. Our food supply was healthy. You didn't have to worry about gluten allergies because they didn't process uh, grains to the level that they're processing them now. You didn't have to go look for organic foods and then pay $10 a pound for chicken 
I mean, ten dollars. I don't know how much is for you guys, but it's like you know, life was so much easier and simple. And because of some of things like that, our health has gotten to the point where we have to take vitamin D pills. We didn't have to take vitamin D pills or vitamin C because we we're getting them in our food. Now everything's so processed that we're not getting anything, and um, our lives are a lot more difficult now than they used to be. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I know. The elderly always say, "Oh, you know, in the nineteen seventies, we had we had this and that and the other." And and you want to say to them, "That's great, mate," but you know, <laughs> it didn't cost you this much to do this. You didn't have this, and you didn't have that. So it's 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 a completely different time. Um, and I'm envious of them really because yeah. life back then you know it was so much simpler you know that was asbestos in the roofs they were drinking water from lead pipes they had lead in their pencils they're all fine you know um but now we have to have warning labels on bottles of bleach and, and battery acid and things for people not to drink them and stuff and i just wonder you know where where have we gone wrong along the way because we do try our best but trying to, one thing i found quite interesting when i was trying to do some reading into supplements and things because obviously there are some people that say supplements is, is just expensive urine and you're just weighing it out because, and there are other people that say, you know, you should, you should get it from your foods. And, and there's so much controversy just over supplements in itself. Even if you were trying to become healthy, it's still not, you know, straightforward and black and white anyway, um, on what you need to do. So, you know, do you think, do you think there's going to be a, a, a better education in, in regards to that? Okay, oh, so it's like I'm back. Yes, there we go. Hey, yeah, right. Okay. If, if there's any consolation, it froze on you smiling. <laughs> there you go. That's always good. Uh, so that's another thing, you know, in medical education, I don't know how much you got in your training, but they don't teach you nutrition, right? They don't teach you these things. Um, they don't teach you that a lot of uh, medical diagnosis, there is a healthy way of uh, actually dealing with your illness. Uh, I think one of the reasons people like me as their doctor is I, I, I'm really all about common sense. You know, if someone comes to me and they are all of a sudden diabetic, I'm like, okay, so what have you been eating for the past, you know, six months? What was your lifestyle? Uh, what changed in your life? You know, if you like to have a chocolate cake and uh, um, pizza and lots of pasta, you know, we need to start decreasing those things. You need to start doing some exercise. Sure, there is like times when diabetes needs to be treated with medications, insulin, and stuff like that. There's different causes for it. But a lot of, lot of illnesses that we experience is really the lifestyle that we lead. So if we were just taught that uh, from the beginning, we wouldn't have these problems. And that's why I always, you know, uh, sometimes I write on my website, there are several... Um, little blog that I wrote I haven't written in a couple of months but one of them was uh, when it comes to medicine you have to go back to the way of life that we had when we were younger you know um, those healthy diets you have to cook you have to stop start buying frozen meals uh, convenience food uh, it's really the cancer of our society you know, uh, Big Mac and stuff, it's kind of nice to have it once in a while, but if that's your daily diet, you have to worry about it. Um, even, you know, going to a restaurant, is, it's nice, but again, it's, it's, it's too processed. You have to start choosing. 
one of the things about Croatia, I just went back home. I was in London uh, about a month ago, and then I went home for a few days. We always buy fresh food for the day. Every single day you go to the market, you buy what you're going to cook that day, you cook it, and that's it. You know, you might have leftovers a little bit, but you don't have a lot. We don't have much uh, frozen foods and things like that in our freezer because you go to the fish market, the meat market, vegetable market, and you walk everywhere. Here in, in the United States, obviously, you can do any of that. But those are type of lifestyles that we should be striving for, that we, we should be looking for. And for someone with young families, uh, you really have to take care of your kids. You know, everything that they eat matters. Mm -hmm. I find it funny sometimes, <clears throat> and I don't mean to say this in the wrong way, if you see large parents, usually they have slightly less larger children. So so you know it's it's kind of like a behavior pattern. It is. Subjected to, um, because, you know, they'll eat what's put in front of them, especially if it's pop and crisps. Um, well, remember, food is cancer in itself, you know. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, food can be, food can heal, but food can also um, kill, really. I always tease that I, I really love pizza. Pizza is like my favorite, uh, I call it the food group, because if you, you know, depending what you put on it, you can hit every little spot. <laughs> but, you know, I don't eat it every day. I, I eat it, and when I do have it, I have it with lots of vegetables on the side or something like that. You don't have to deny yourself anything. You just have to know how much of it to, to have. Yeah, it's all it's all about moderation, isn't it? I think that's the... I, yeah, I, I think it. you British are not big on pizza because every every time I talk to someone from Britain, they're like, yeah, pizza is okay, but like Indian food or something else. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we're, 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 we're kind of... We're, we're, we're a funny one us British folk, you know, we don't like change, but we eat Indian food. We drive German cars, we drink French beers, you know, you know, we sit on a Swedish sofa and all that. I heard this from somebody, somebody um, on a, on a video that I watched. And I just remember thinking, yeah, that's pretty much Britain. Um, we're wary of outsiders, but pretty much everything in Britain that we like isn't British. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, go figure. Uh, <laughs> but that just what makes us even more bizarre and strange than uh, than we read. I read a study a, a little while ago, and it was in the mid '80s, I think it was, and uh, they basically subjected some lab rats to um, to figure out whether there was a link between the foods they ate and skin cancer, and they subjected both sets of mice to the same amount of um, the UV, you know, sunlight, and they fed one a healthy diet and one an American style diet, and the uh, the, the mice with the American style diet were 25% more likely to get skin cancer. And then the ones that were fed a healthy diet were 20% less likely likely to get it. So, But they're exposed to exactly the same amount of, of, of sunlight as each other. Um, so which ties into your thing of what you're saying with the whole you know, food, what you put in your body. We have no idea, really, because you don't know what's in it. <clears throat> now, when they say diet, um, you know, everything gives you cancer that's not sugar. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit difficult. Um, I'm trying to think, see if we've got any other, other questions I want to ask you, really. So you've told me, you've basically told me everything that I wanted to know, which is good. I, I like to have a set amount of questions because sometimes you never know straight off the bat whether you're going to have a, a free flow conversation or whether you have to drag the information out of them <laughs> with a stick. So it's, um, it's always difficult. So what are your plans for the future? What, 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 are you, what are you planning on doing yourself? Um, I was just going to tell you, sometimes people will say, 
like if I do something, they're like, that was really good, you know, what you said. And I, and I always say, I have no idea what I'm going to say. Just kind of, you know, spur of the moment type of a thought. Um, as far as future, uh, so I still firmly believe that it's very important to connect in person. So, um, you know, I, I'm part of this Global COVID Summit group uh, with uh, everyone. And uh, we've done a lot of things in U.S., but now we're starting to do more meetings around the world and the same thing for world council we're trying to have actual events in in different countries and different places to connect with groups and uh, really make sure we're on the same page so there are a couple you know events that are happening and traveling i'll be doing in the future but in the meantime you know i, I do what i do every day i take care of my patients uh, I hate injustice, so if I feel that something is not right, I try to speak out. I find Twitter very frustrating because I think it would be a great platform if we could just um, share our opinions with, without being in fear that if you post something, you're going to get blocked or something. You know, you and I may not agree on everything, and that's good. There's nothing wrong actually about disagreeing because in disagreements, you find solutions most of the time. So I'm hoping that something, there's going to be some kind of movement towards more of a free speech all over the world, although that's hard to really imagine at this point. So the most important thing is to keep on staying connecting, connected. You know, the reason I always try to find time to speak with different people and do these podcasts and stuff is because we learn from each other. You know, I learn a lot of stuff from you. You learn some things from me. And uh, at the end of the day, the only way we're going to get through this um, twilight zone, as I like to call it, is together. Yeah. I think when you when you just said then, is I gave a talk last week to some people um, and it was on the back of the tweet that I said about me leaving the NHS, which, which went a bit crazy. I wasn't expecting that that feedback from it because i've been shouting the same stuffy for a couple of years but anyway you, you don't have control over what people consider um you know poignant or not but on the back of that i got asked to do a talk because they they wanted me to whistleblow and i had to say to them at the beginning look i haven't got anything that i considered worth whistleblowing but two hours later after speaking to them and just telling them my story and what i'd seen and what i'd done you know they're they're they're, they're you know really thankful and they said you know it was brilliant to know the inside workings of the organizations and so things that i didn't consider you know worth whistleblowing if you will just giving people an understanding of what the environment is like inside the nhs <clears throat> and and how things work um it, it ties into the whole thing of what you're saying about you don't really plan what you say and i did i didn't but if you're speaking the truth then you don't need to plan what you say because it's the truth so it will just come out how how, how it how it does um, which I, which I, I didn't expect to happen really. I, I you know, I, I was pl flattered to be asked to speak, but I was the whole time driving. I was like, I have no idea what, what I'm talking. I had no presentation, no notes, but off I went and, and it was brilliant. It was really good, but it was the truth. Um, and yeah, what I found with, with, with a lot of the doctors that are speaking out yourself and everyone else, I can really relate to them. And, and, and if they were my doctor, I'd be really glad because they seem like normal people, which is a rarity. Uh, because doctors sometimes unintentionally put themselves on a pedestal uh, and they can be very condescending and patronising when talking to patients. But it seems everybody in this movement that's trying to expose, I don't movement, but, you know, trying to do what's yeah. right, um, 
is really relatable, which I think is really important um, because we need to let patients know that there are some cool doctors out there as in cool as in I can treat you cool <laughs> and I still can be a good person. And, and you know, which is, you know, I, I, I just weren't, weren't expecting that, that to kind of happen. And it's refreshing because it means you don't care what I do. I don't care what you do. If we've got ideas, you can still speak about them because the end result will, be, will benefit everybody. And it doesn't matter whether uh, I found at the beginning, I felt like I didn't have enough credence because I wasn't a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and it seems to be people are not so bothered about that now because it's more the information that you have that you can share. I agree because, you know, I actually don't use my title much at all. The only time I say I'm Dr. Lindley is if I'm really pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I never I actually never introduced myself as Dr. Lindley. Um, because uh, yeah, you know, I consider myself a normal person, and each each and every experience we all have kind of amount for uh, uh, something that can we that we can build upon. And people, you know, the reason I actually never do slides in our talks. Slides distract me, and then I can't really um, tell my message. But I, like I said, I speak about freedom. People don't realize, especially, like you said, Western people, uh, Americans especially, they don't realize how fragile freedom is. Someone like me does. And then you have like Ryan Cole, who actually makes slides five minutes before he goes on stage because he's always updating his slides. So, and he, but he's also so down to earth, such a normal guy. None of us think of ourselves as anything special we're just telling our truth and uh i think it's important for everyone for uh any walk of life to tell our truth because only through our experiences we can actually uh understand the bigger picture of what's happening even just you know there's nothing i'm just a mom i'm just a dad no you're someone who's doing an extremely important job and the struggles that they're going through as important as the ones that you and i are going through so yeah. we all need to have a voice. Yeah. And that's refreshing to hear. It really is because that's been, that's been kind of my ethos. And I said this before on other podcasts, being a paramedic, I don't, it's not the first thing I, hello, my name's Matt and I'm a paramedic. I've never, you know, <laughs> if anything, I, it's the last thing I say to people because I, I, I've been told many times that I look more like a plumber or a builder than, than a paramedic. <laughs> I'll take that. But you know, that's funny. So I've always felt like I've got, <laughs> hey, we've got to have some laughs in this, haven't we? We've got to have some laughs. Yeah, a little but, bit, right? Yeah, but I always felt like I'd got on the wrong bus because I never seemed to really fit into the whole medical ethos. I was never quite professional enough. Um, well, yeah. I have to tell you something funny. So uh, I'm a little bit the same way. I don't wear suits or heels or anything like that. Most of the time, uh, I'm in my. Um, nice yoga pants and like a shirt or something and, and every once in a while i'll go in the office wear jeans or you know a blouse and my patient will be like where are you going today so you know it's not the clothes that make people but you're right everyone thinks like oh to be serious you have to wear you know suit and stuff like that i only wear those when i really have to um, <laughs> yeah because yeah. we are all you know just normal people I know. And I think it's important that people know that. And that, this the reason I wanted to do this podcast was to have conversations with people like yourself, but in a, in a, I say in a language, but in a, in a dialogue, dialogue that people can kind of relate to and understand and get something from it. Um, 
and if I don't understand anything, I'll, I'll ask the questions because people have this fear of medicine because it's, you know, lots of big words and things like that, you know, and, and the studies and just understanding how they do all this sort of stuff. It's not that difficult to understand if someone explains it to you. Mm -hmm. um, so it's trying to get rid of that stigma that surrounds medicine that says, look, you can read a clinical study as well if you want, and you can look at something and see something that someone else with two degrees might not be able to see. It just depends on how you process information, but don't be afraid to look into it. Um, and I think more and more people are looking into stuff now, especially with the, the, the data that's been coming out with studies and, and everything else. I think everyone unintentionally has learned a little bit about medicine because there's language that they know now that they didn't understand two years ago what it means. Um, so that's the, a benefit in that in that regard. We just need to try and get them to, to you know, work on their own sort of health because regardless of who's causing these problems, the result's still the same, you know, whether it's, yeah. you know, you know, and it's important to know, and it's important for people to realize that uh, doctors are human beings, and uh, we're not infallible. And the way I practice medicine is, I give you advice, I give you my opinion, and I listen to your opinions, and then together we come up with a solution. I never impose my opinion on someone else. Sometimes, if I strongly disagree with them, I'll say. I hear you, but I still think you should do it this way. But if you want to try your way, we can. Unless it's something very harmful, then I'll insist. But what people have to realize that these two years have shown us the good and bad about medicine. And um, there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of bad. And at the end of the day, you are your own advocate. You are your child's advocate, your mom's, your grandpa's or whatever. You have to take that seriously. And if you feel strongly about something, don't feel afraid to challenge what the doctor is saying. They're not gods. We're not gods. Like I said, I'm, I'm not better than anyone else. Um, I act in community exactly like everyone else. You know, if I have to stay in line, I stay in line like everyone else. There's nothing special about us. And that's what you have to remember. I think society has have raised physicians to a certain level, but there's nothing special about us. We're still human beings. And if you feel strongly, the only person that can save you is you, and you need to fight for yourself. That's, that's really the biggest advice I have. Don't take everything for granted. If you don't believe, then don't um, challenge them and, and ask them to prove the point. What people don't realize, the Achilles heel of this whole two years is informed consent. We have not given informed consent. We don't have informed consent. And the fact, like you said, you know, if they can't sue the companies, at some point people are going to wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to sue the doctor that gave me this vaccine because I did not get that informed consent. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But informed consent is actually the biggest medical legal Achilles heel of this whole two years. And people don't even realize that. Mm -hmm. Do you think there will be in the years to come a form of Nuremberg kind of trial with regards to what's been going on? Nuremberg is interesting. Uh, Nuremberg is more of an ethical argument, I believe, mm -hmm. because legally... Um, not every country has fully they've signed different things it kind of depends uh, that question has been very hard to answer here because mm. i've asked different uh, legal minds to say can you truly do a nuremberg uh, 
uh, trial or something like that. And a lot of them will say that not because the way it was adopted into the American uh, law, um, there is no like legal standing for it, but there is definitely moral and ethical standing for it. And um, even if you can do it in a court of law, uh, you can definitely do it in court of public opinion. And sometimes that's even more important than court of law. And, um, you know, the excuse I just did it because they told me to, it's not good enough. Because the same way the public regards physicians in high esteem, which in my opinion they shouldn't, but the same way they... Re so if you're going to demand of the public to regard you in that same, you know, in that esteem position or something, then you need to do the same for yourself. You have to, uh, you have to expect more of yourself and not just say, well, I was going with it. I know you, we've been talking about serious stuff, but for example, we haven't touched on um, the malformation, whatever they call it. Oh, uh, the malformation. Yeah, yeah, malformation. So I have a problem with malformation, and a lot of people um, always say, well, why do you? Because Matthias Desmond is right and all that. He's not wrong, don't get me wrong. He, he is right in what he's saying. But one of the things I don't like about this mass formation argument is if you look at it from a psychological uh, argument point, and especially when someone says mass formation psychosis, can you imagine some of these uh, leaders, um, regulatory bodies, you know, CDC, uh, MHRA for you guys and people on top saying, well, I had mass formation psychosis. I didn't know what I was doing, so I didn't do anything wrong. So that's where I always say, like, I agree with uh, Matthias Desmond's assessment of it, but be careful how you apply that, mm -hmm. because that can be taken as a legal, mental, psychological argument back, where they can say, well, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was under this mass formation, and it's not my fault which obviously we'll disagree with, but you have to be careful how you introduce some of these terms, in my opinion. Yeah, especially the way the, this, I don't like to say the sides, but especially the way certain movements are, that they'll latch onto that because it, it, it will be a justification for why people are behaving the way they are behaving and thinking the way they're thinking. But then to counter that, you could turn around and say, yeah, but you're employed in a position to kind of stop that from happening. <laughs> you know, that their job is to make things roll, you know, well, their, their job is to essentially organize stuff. So that sort of thing doesn't happen. That's, you know, in, in their re retrospective positions, but I, I, I don't, I, I have my opinions of where things are going, but at the moment, I think the only thing we can do is plan as best we can to be not selfish, but just to kind of look after your own <laughs> for the foreseeable, which I don't like to say, because we've had two years of trying to inform people enough, you know, but they're, they're going to have to see it for themselves. I think, um, going forward. Right. Well, I want to wrap this up a little bit because I appreciate your time. Um, where can people find you and what sort of details do you want to give out to everybody? So I have my website, it's kathleenlydio.com and you can email me through there and then let me look up my, uh, World Council for Health email because I always forget that one. 
if you send me these in a WhatsApp afterwards, if that's all right, I can put them. Yeah, that, that sounds good. But you can always email me at katlindley at protonmail.com. I tend to respond to everything I get and I eventually do. Um, you know, some stories that we all get can be heartbreaking, but sometimes people just want to know that someone heard them. So I try to send back at least a note saying, I'm here if you need me. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, like I said, we had lots of obstacles, lots of bad things happening to all of us. But the best thing is we also made a lot of friends and um, the community has kind of gotten a little bit bigger, which is great. Yeah. I, I, I have found, as someone new to this, I have found that there's there's a bit of a gap between those of us on the ground and then those other people doing good things in the upper echelons, you know, there, there, there needs to be a bit more of a bridge um, because it's, it's, it's us lot that are on the ground that are trying to raise awareness to those people on the ground. The, the, the larger people, they're not in a, in a group think mentality, but they're surrounded by a lot of people that agree with what they say. Um, I agree know. with that. That, that. That's actually the primary reason I joined World Council because I wanted to build a bridge between US and the rest of the world. And then the same thing, like I found that some people, I, I hate calling movement like you do, but some people sometimes a little bit, they think they're plugged in, but they truly are not because they're staying within their own circle a little bit too much. And mm. for me, um, like I said, anyone can reach me anytime uh, i find that every connection i make it's as important as another there is you know there's not one person that really matters more than others and um it's all about um spreading the message letting people know that there is hope there is a future that we all are working towards the same goal and um you know we just have to be there for each other yeah, and I, I do think it is as simple as that. I think we just need to try and love each other as best we can, accept each other. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's what we need to do is accept that people have different opinions than you do, but that's okay. You can still be friends. Um, exactly. You know, somewhere along the line. You might hate lines. pizza, but I love pizza. <laughs> well, this is I hate, well, it's the I hate sushi, by the way, so uh, I don't know how yeah. you feel about sushi. But I'm not a fan. Okay, good. <laughs> but I don't mind. I don't mind pineapple on my pizza, which I believe is a sin uh, to lots yeah, of other I'm people as well. Yeah. Yes. I don't yeah, have pineapple like, on my pizza. I just don't mind it on the pizza. So. Well, that, you know, that's what I'm saying. At the end of the day, we're all. It's very simple. We're all human. We have likes and dislikes. Uh, but despite those likes and dislikes, we can still be really good friends. And yeah. uh, we don't have to agree on everything, but we find that most of the time we actually agree on most of the things. Because at the end of the day, we just want a simpler life for ourselves, our family, and our friends. Yeah. At least normal people that don't have this idea of grandeur that want to, you know, uh, the one we're not the one percent. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I know exactly. And and I think that's that's the problem. I mean, there's been a few events with the Georgia Guy Stones being knocked down or blown that up. That was interesting. That was really yeah. interesting, right? Mm, I think people say like oh that's a new beginning I'm thinking to myself I'm very pessimistic sometimes I'm like what were they trying to hide that's kind of where my mind yeah. goes it's, it's, it's a difficult one isn't it because I I thought that I thought it could be symbolic for you know that is kind of the the, the blueprint for some people say yeah. you know the new world order's kind of blueprint so that being blown up could be a symbol that that ideology's 
been you know disintegrated mm -hmm. you know blown up to an extent but then someone said there was no forensics there was no taping off there was no examination they just bulldozed it all down flattened it all off and then but there's a time capsule apparently in there as well that was put in there mm. that um, people are saying you know we should be wanting to have a look at as well so but then this is where it starts you know is that real is it not is it real you know, and you, you know, know. So it's just know. and then the time that it happened apparently is the time of mars um <clears throat> and, and, you know and, and just some of this and this is this is why people you know find it so difficult to take those sorts of things seriously because there's always that one guy that just will shout something <laughs> kind of not really really far out there you know and you're like oh god read the room mate we're trying we nearly had them and then you had to come in with with eating babies didn't you do you know what I mean? and, now and now they've just we've lost I, them completely. I know. yeah we we had that with snake venom you know and a lot of stuff like that i, I get you know I, I always try um you we you have to be as scientifically honest as you can you can uh entertain ideas and thoughts but you should really just speak about things that you can prove or that makes sense at this time and slowly introduce people to other things as they come along but it's been interesting uh you know this whole global i don't want to call it awakening because it's not awakening it's more like you know you have, we had veils over our eyes and all of a sudden the veil has been lifted and we have recognized that um you know, going back to our governments, they really don't have our best interest at heart, at least like 90% of all of our governments. There are always some good people everywhere. But in general, um, the world is corrupt. But I would say that there is more good than bad. And as long as we keep on finding the good, it will be okay. I just want the good people Every little to thing will be all right, right? Well, How no, goes at the end. Yeah. 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 But I just think the good people just need to get ever so slightly more angry. Um, just, just you know, just to yeah, I, I agree with that. We need to stop accepting uh, mediocrity. You know, we need to stop accepting. You know, with you guys, with your elections. Well, this person is not as bad as that one. No, I don't accept that. I, I, I want the best out of whoever that candidate is. And uh, honestly, you know, I, I don't follow your politics a lot, but uh, the ones that I've seen so far that people are talking about they're all scary i don't think there is like one good apple in that whole no no and, and, that, and that's the sad thing even if there's there's no other party to vote for other than a party that would just be a protest vote uh which could make even more of a mess than the country's already in so it's like a hot poker to the eye or a knife to the uh to the chest you know either way the result's still going to be the same um well, listen, Dr. Kathleen Lee, thank you so much for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I've really generally enjoyed this. So please I come on I again. I didn't bore you too much. No, you guys don't bore me at all. I think it's brilliant. It's, it's just trying to dig out the right sort of information. Hey, feel free to invite me to your next outgoing to Brazil. All right. I've got a few sure. things I can say on the world stage. Totally yeah. 100%. Brazil was massive. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was really an adventure. Uh, we went to see uh, Iguazu Falls and had some great foods. It was really good. Brilliant. Well, if there's anybody um, that you think would be good on this show, and I, I want some holistic people, some holistic uh, practitioners, just so we okay. can try and give some people some advice on some alternate health as well that doesn't involve, yeah. you know. I have a few in mind that would be great. 
Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that'd be good. I'll, uh, well, I'll be in touch, you know, now we've communicated and connected. That'd be great. Well, but I'll, I'll, um, I'll send you a link. You send me the details on a WhatsApp, please. I'll remind you for the, and then I can include it in the oh. video and stuff as well. But thank you for your time today. All right. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks. Keep up, the fight as well. Keep up the fight as well. Don't you stop. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.